Welcome, everyone, to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, August 14, 2016. The share ID for Friday, August 12, is 8993. That's 8993. This morning, A Vision for You presents Chapter 9, The Family Afterward. It's often said, nothing in life gives us more joy than relationships. And nothing in life challenges us more than relationships. Relationships are our ultimate challenge for the same reason that they are our ultimate joy. Relationships are about growing, changing, expanding, and giving. They're about showing unselfishness and love. This process, when sincerely engaged in, challenges every fiber of our being. No role can catalyze inner growth more than the roles of spouse, parent, child, or friend. When we were in our disease of compulsive overeating, we created circumstances due to our selfishness and self-centeredness, which wrought all kinds of damage. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. This wreckage may take time to repair. Yes, there is a long period of reconstruction ahead. The family afterward describes the many challenges and readjustments facing the family of the recovered alcoholic. There are new skills of communication and compromise to develop and new attitudes to practice. The big book stresses the importance of living by spiritual principles such as patience, tolerance, understanding, and love as a means of restoring trust and integrity with family members. Joining us this morning are six recovered compulsive overeaters who will bring Chapter 9, The Family Afterward, to life through their own personal experience and fascinating insights. Our panelists this morning include Chrissy G. from New Jersey, Martha Z. from Pennsylvania, Julie R. from California, Melissa C., Kelly S. from from Oklahoma, and Janice M. from Massachusetts. So let's get started with the development of pages 122 and 123 with our first panelist, Chrissy G. Hi, good morning. This is Chrissy G. Can you hear me okay? I hear you well. Thank you. Oh, great. Okay. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and anorexic from New Jersey. And I wanted to start with a little disclaimer. I change out the word alcoholic in my talk to addicted person. I feel like it's more relatable to everyone and it's helpful to me to think in these terms. And I hope it's helpful to all of you as well. I'm sharing on the first two pages of the chapter, The Family Afterwards pages 122 and 123. The chapters 8, 9, and 10 are important chapters because they speak to the people having to deal with the addicted person. Once the addict is newly newly sober and usually on shaky grounds, how is the family to respond? They have only known her and her addiction. For example, my family was not used to me sitting down at the dinner table to eat when I was in my addiction. But once I got into OA, that was an important part of my recovery to sit down and eat. I started to sit and eat at every meal. At the ta- 
sit and eat every meal at the table. Where in my compulsive overeating periods, I would binge in private and spend meal times fluttering around the kitchen, serving everyone but never sharing in the pleasure of the intimacy of a family meal. And in my anorexic periods, it frightened me to sit and eat. And I was always on the go. I never sat to eat when I even allowed myself to eat at all. How is my family to respond now that I'm expecting everyone to sit and eat together? It was a big adjustment for my family. And these pages discuss this sort of problem in detail and give suggestions, really helpful suggestions, on what type of attitude to take in these in situations. It says, each, referring to the family members, is interested in having his or her wishes respected. We find the more one member of the family demands that the other concede to him, the more resentful they become. Similarly, it warns us on the bottom of page 60 in our text. In order to follow this new design for living, the first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. On that basis, self-seeking and wanting our own way, we are almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though, like in my example of wanting everyone to sit down and eat together, our motives are good. So it wasn't, a, it wasn't the problem that I wanted everyone to sit down and eat. My, my intentions were good, but it was what was my behavior going to be around that? And because I was so new in trying to behave appropriately, I had a lot of trial and error with that. You know, first I would, like it, like it says uh, in, on page 61, first I would try to be kind and gracious, and then I would demand, and, and I'd get, you know, intolerant. So it really, there really was a period of adjustment, like it said in, in the intro, which was such a, a perfect intro to this chapter. Um, okay, let me see. In reference to this behavior in the selfishness and the self-propulsion and wanting my own way. In reference to this behavior in the chapter, the family afterwards, it states that the behavior makes for discord and unhappiness, not surprisingly. Similarly, it's written in the AA 12 Steps and 12, 12 Traditions that defective relationships are the cause of nearly all of our woes and even our alcoholism, or for us, our compulsive food behaviors. That line always made me stand at attention because here I heard the answer to the question I'd been asking myself for most of my life, why do I keep doing this even though it's destroying me and my family? The chapters 8 and 9 discuss how to improve our relationships and how to behave in relation to other people and how to play nice in the sandbox. So it's important. I mean, These chapters are so important because if defective relationships with the cause of my addiction, I I need to know how to get along with other people in, uh, in order to stay recovered. Any family struggling in early recovery would do well to refer to chapters 8 and 9, especially this chapter, the family afterwards. It's a look into addiction as a family disease. The family system's ill, it tells us, like a mobile if one element of the mobile is out of place, it sets the whole thing off course. The, 
in the family in the throes of addiction, we're out of balance. Oftentimes, the other family members are picking up the slack from the addict who's unable to fulfill family obligations due to their addictive behavior. In the case of my family and my addiction, sometimes I would, well, not sometimes, if I was going to be honest, I would say most times I would bury my head in the sand when my, my children were acting out. I have two children that have ADHD, and it wasn't uncommon for them to act impulsively and, and cause a lot of disruption in the home. And because I, not because I, I can't take full responsibility, but as a result of part, of part of what happened, my husband would lose his patience and become aggressive and yell because he just didn't, he didn't have the capacity to deal with them. And I understand that um, by himself. You know, if there were two parents kind of heading them off, it would have been a lot more manageable for him. Now, you know, his aggression wasn't my, my fault, but it was my responsibility. And it it turned out in my family that in early recovery, even when I started to participate as a true partner and another parent, in the weeks that and months that followed, it was clear that the aggression and the yelling were an outside issue for him and didn't it, and wasn't completely as a result of my inability to take care of my own responsibilities and confront confront my children and, and really rise to the occasion and discipline them the way I was supposed to. So now it was my responsibility to confront, take my head out of the sand and confront this anger issue. And I needed to do it, the program told me, and my sponsor told me, and Al-Anon, was very helpful, and they told me that I need to ha- I need to handle this in a compassionate, non-confrontational way as possible, and to be respectful. Yet again, this was a result of me shirking my responsibility and not confronting unacceptable behavior. And it may sound like I'm being too hard on myself here, yet I know I need to be hard on myself and gentle with others because that's what steps eight and nine of our program tell me. So back to my example, what would happen was a domino effect. The kids would act out, dad would yell, and my middle child, the only one without impulsivity issues of, of the three children, he, would, he was typical in every respect, but he developed this keen awareness of when the volcano was about to blow. And rather than enjoying the carefree attitude of a family free from addiction, my son Kevin would see the other children acting out and knowing that if dad was to intervene, there would be a lot of yelling, he would try to calm the misbehaving sibling. He was preoccupied by trying to keep the peace and develop the feelings of over-responsibility of a child affected by addiction. Once I got abstinent, as I was saying, in 2014 and my head was removed from the sand, I was aware of this dysfunctional dynamic in a way I hadn't been before. In my step work, I realized I needed to confront my husband and stop accepting unacceptable behavior. With the help of my sponsor, whom I love and trust beyond measure, and Al-Anon, 
I confronted my husband respectfully and truthfully. I told him, although I loved him, I could no longer tolerate his anger and the resulting verbal abuse towards myself and the children. Another disclaimer, please know that this conversation that I had with him could never have occurred without a tremendous amount of outside help. And I'm not suggesting that anyone take drastic measures in an effort to heal their family. It requires lots of support. The result in confronting my husband then was that my now ex-husband decided to leave and we divorced a year later. In the, years that, in the year that followed, each of my children confided in me, and I know it was very difficult for them to do so without feeling disloyal to their father, that although they were saddened by the breakup of our family, they re- realized it was for the best. Now that they were free of the tension and stress of our previous situation, more than once Kevin has told me that our house is now quiet and peaceful. And I need to remind myself to be patient with him and be grateful instead of annoyed when he just acts like a typical 17-year-old now. This program, and especially our text, this blue book, has saved so many lives. I know it saved mine and my family. The closing page of Chapter 8 and the first chapter of 9 seemingly contradict each other, yet on further examination they make perfect sense. Chapter 8 to the wife states that if the addicted person in early recovery has a slip, the family should cheer him up and ask him how they could be still more helpful. Yet in the following chapter, it could be confusing to read, perhaps we have created the impression the addicted person needs to be wrapped in cotton and wool and placed on a pedestal. Successful readjustment means the opposite, it tells us. All members of the family should meet upon the common ground of tolerance, understanding, and love. The take-home message here is that if every individual's intention in the family is to be helpful and cooperative to the other, making the motivating principle for our actions to create harmony in the family through cooperation and compassionate communication, all will be well in time, and that's key, in time. This involves, but this involves a process of ego deflation. The 12-step process makes this ego deflation possible, and it helps when family members are open to attending our sister program, Al-Anon, or Alateen, as my children did. Many of us are too fragile to consider including the family in this process at first, but in time with support, it's helpful to suggest Al-Anon to members of the family affected by our addiction. Personally, I thank God for Al-Anon. The 12 steps saved my family and always saved my life, and Al-Anon really taught us all how to live it. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much, Chrissy G. And now developing pages 124 and 125 is Martha Z. Welcome, Martha. Good morning, Leah. Can you hear me? Yes. Thank you. Thank you for your loving service and for the privilege of being on this panel. Good morning, my friends in recovery. This is Martha Z. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from near Philadelphia, recovered by the grace of God. And I'm happy to be with all of you to share my experience, strength, and hope. 
And I, like I said, I'll be sharing on pages 124 and 125. So I'm going to start for context at the bottom of page 123, uh, last, last sentence. The family may be possessed by the idea that future happiness can be based only by forgetfulness of the past. Okay, so I'm going to start on the first paragraph of 124. Henry Ford once made a wise remark to the effect that experience is the thing of supreme value in life. That is true only if one is willing to turn the past to good account. We grow by our willingness to face and rectify errors and convert them into assets. And so when I first came into OA, I noticed step nine, and, and it talked about making amends to people. And I was one of those kind of people that liked things to be smooth and perfect. So I went around apologizing to the people that I thought I had hurt, mostly family and friends. And I hadn't even taken step one yet. Um, so I, I don't advise that. Um, but I learned that the steps were in order for a reason. So after I worked the first eight steps with a sponsor, I was then ready to look at step nine and to do this under her direction and to not do it alone. And so um, I also tried valiantly to work steps 2 through 12 uh, when I wasn't abstinent, and I struggled for my first 12 years doing it this way. And when I finally surrendered and put the food down and was entirely abstinent, the steps worked, and I wasn't struggling anymore. And I was also raised by a perfectionist, so when I grew up, mistakes were to be avoided at any cost. I mean, the concept of learning from your mistakes was not even something that I had even heard about. So in recovery, um, I can make a mistake and pray about what I'm supposed to be learning from it. And I have also modeled this for my children. And, um, I, yeah, so, I mean, it, it's amazing. I, so I'll say to them, well, what can we learn from this? So um, next paragraph, this painful past may be of infinite value to other families still struggling with their problem. Showing others who sh suffer how we were given help is the very thing which makes life seem so worthwhile to us now. Cling to the thought that in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession you have, the key to life and happiness for others. With it, you can avert death and misery for them. That's my favorite part of this whole chapter. And um, this paragraph makes me think of my favorite nine-step pro promise, which is we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. And also the other nine-step promise, which says no matter how far down we've gone, the scale we've gone, we'll see how our experience can benefit others. And it also reminds me about the third-step prayer, where it says, take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. So when I look at this paragraph, I think about it can be taken on different levels. So uh, food, relationships, other difficulties. So food, when I, when I talk about what it used to be like in my disease, I was pretty much obsessed 24-7 if I wasn't thinking about it, I was obsessing about buying it, eating. I was buying it, eating it, and recovering from eating it. I was definitely not thinking about how I could be helpful to others. And uh, today, I am. I have been. The obsession's been relieved, and I am not fighting food and weight anymore. And I am. It's not a problem anymore. And 
I'm actually thinking about how I could be helpful to other people. I was helpful to my family. I had a young family when I first recovered. I was helpful to them, but only only if you were attached to me was I helpful to anybody. But now I actually think about how I could be helpful to other people. Okay, so on, but on the relationship level, I can talk about what my relationships look like in disease and what they look like today in recovery. So I'd like to give a couple examples of that um, to just explain that. So I'm going to start with my mom. So when I was in my disease, I was constantly pushing my feelings down with food, judging and blaming her. And I had a list of 55 resentments and was the perfect victim. I was always looking at the wrong that she had done me. So years ago at an Al-Anon meeting, I heard that I would never really be in recovery as long as I played the victim. And I wanted to be solidly in recovery. So I started to do this work. And on page 83, it says, it says there's a long period of reconstruction ahead and that we must take the lead. So I started doing this work and, you know, how we talk about peeling the layers of the onion. And um, as a result of, so a few years ago, as a result of setting aside what I thought I knew, and I did think I had the best possible relationship with her, um, a fellow visionary um, helped me to see my part in the difficulties. I was always into looking at what she did and not seeing what I was doing. And I was able to see my part. And I made amends to my mom, acknowledging my behavior. And the energy between us shifted and the, the hardness melted. It was like there was hardness around both our hearts and the hardness melted. And today I actually can live the prayer of St. Francis with her to understand and to, um, to comfort, to understand, and to love. And... Um, that's it's just such a miracle to me. I, I can barely believe it. And um, that God continues to reveal more to help me to understand her better. Um, and I didn't, I didn't expect her to change, but at 92, she's become more caring, and she actually apologizes for when she acts out. And I, I consider that the most amazing miracle ever. So my second example is my husband. And I was in OA a year and a half before we got married. And the summer we got married, I was teaching preschool, so I wasn't working. And um, I didn't think that there would be, I didn't think there should be any adjustment period. We were happy and we were in love. And I was constantly saying to him, oh, promise me things will never change. And I didn't, I I had a terrible summer with my abstinence. And I, I couldn't understand it. I kept thinking, why is this happening? Like, there's not a cloud in the sky. So, um I was constantly um, asking him about what he was going to do about this problem. And I'd have him lock up my binge foods or lock up money so that I couldn't go out and buy them. And I was totally dependent on him. So my pattern would be that I would overeat during the week and then I would be absent on the weekends. So I would take him to work first thing in the morning. And by 7 o'clock, I'd hit the food store, gotten my binge foods, had a binge for a couple hours that morning, slept it off, went to the pool, took a shower, made a nice dinner, and he'd come home, and um, I would push the food around the plate, and I would burst into tears. So I, the poor man never had a warm dinner that first summer, only on the weekends. So we would go off. We had this green upholstered rocking chair. We'd go off, and we'd sit in this chair, and I'd never, ever had somebody hold me when I felt so awful about myself. And anyway, so... 
um, yeah, so he, I kept thinking, how long is he going to put up with this crap? But he, I don't know, he just loved me unconditionally. And he, he would later say, you know, that I, I could really see who you were. And I, I kept thinking, I don't know how he can do that. I don't know who I am. But I'm very grateful for his support over the years. And um, so on my first anniversary, I am in bed with a washcloth on my head. I'm in withdrawal, terrible headache. And he endured this for about ten and a half more years before I went to treatment. So today in recovery, we're equal partners. And almost everything's changed, and I've learned that change is good. We've been married for 38 years. Twenty-seven and a half of those I've been living in recovery. And I can stand up for myself, and I can talk about how I feel. I'm allowed to have my feelings, and it's safe for me to have my feelings. Um, We're very different, but we share the most important core value, that God's the most important fact of our lives. We go to him for solutions to our problems. We're a good team. So I wanted to stress that these improved relationships are the direct result of doing this work, of working the 12 steps. So um, the next paragraph I want to develop is on page 125, and it's paragraph one. It says, we families of Alcoholics Anonymous keep few skeletons in the closet. So when I'm going around in my normal life, I don't disclose to everyone that <laughs> that I'm a compulsive overeater or, or that I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I, um, I disclose it if I think it will be helpful. So if I'm at the gym... And I see that it might be helpful. I, and I always pray about it because sometimes it, the right opportunity does not come up. And, but if it does, I, I do share about, about my eating and you know, what happened and, and what it's like now, if I think I can be helpful. So, um, and then the second paragraph, it says, Another principle we observe carefully is that we do not relate intimate experiences of another person unless we're sure he would approve. We find it better when possible to stick to our own stories. And I pretty much do share only about what my personal story is. But if I know somebody in recovery that I think would be helpful to somebody who's really struggling, I try to help them to get together. So, you know, I mean, you know, get a phone number, ask the other person if it was okay to call for the other person to call, that kind of thing. And the last part, further down in the paragraph, it says, we alcoholics are sensitive people. And so in this context, it looks like, because it says it takes some of us a long time to outgrow the serious handicap, it looks like they're saying that this is a negative thing. And certainly it's been a negative thing for me. I, I am, I can have my feelings hurt easily. But in recovery, at least I have a way to deal with it. I can work it through. I have people I can talk to. But I wanted to talk about the positive part of being sensitive. And I'm, I am grateful to be sensitive because I, I think I have a lot more empathy and compassion for people. I really care about people. And I think it helps me to be, to be better at doing this work. So I am I'm very, very grateful for that. Um, so... Um, Chapter 7, Working with Others, reminds us that our job is to be of maximum helpfulness to others. And I used to think that I could only help people with food problems. But because of my challenges, I've had husband with prostate cancer, um, other families with cancer, daughter with mental illness, difficult adolescent, I can be uniquely useful to people in those areas. 
So, and I found that God's used my painful experiences not only to help others, but to help me to grow as well. So thank you for letting me share. I hope it was helpful. And if anyone has any questions about, you know, any the relationships or other relationships, you can ask them on the question and answer or be happy to answer them on a one-on-one. Have a great day. Thanks. Thank you very much, Martha Z. And now sharing her personal insights on pages 126, 127, and 128 is Julie R. Hi, thank you. This is Julie R., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in California. I am setting my timer because I have a lot to say on these pages. So the first thing I want to talk about is on page 126. It says, if not irritable, he may seem dull and boring not gay and affectionate as a family would like him to be. Mother may complain of inattention. You know, my family knew how much commitment it was to working a program. They had seen me, you know, before when I had recovered and then got into relapse or when I was just thin and abstinent. They saw, you know, it's a very, very important part of my program. I'm either on the phone or I was at a meeting and doing assignment, I was sponsoring, but they would feel left out because, in the past, they weren't seeing a lot of payback, right? Yes, I was thin. Yes, I was doing a lot of work, but I was not recovered. So, you know, fast forward to this time, um, which is almost two years now, they're seeing, okay, here she is. She's starting again. She's out of her relapse. Yay. Where is the payback? So it was. it's a fine line, you know. They're waiting. They're waiting for that other shoe to drop. And they did feel left out. So this time it's like, okay, what can I do? I tried to balance things out as best that I could, but, you know, program had to win out. My God had to win out because without God, I don't have anything. Um, The next sentence, they are all disappointed and often let him feel it. Beginning with such complaints, a barrier arises. So, you know, what would I do when they would start to, you know, say, God, mom, you're always on the phone. What are you doing? We need you. I would just have to work, work it out with my recovered circle. I, I, the 10 steps, calling people up and being of service. It wasn't going to do any good for me to be defensive and say, hey, hey, look at me. I'm recovered. You know, can't you see? I had to continually work this program like my life depended upon it because it does and let them see it on their own you know I can't just wave that flag they have to see it Um, the next sentence sometimes mother and children don't think so having been neglected and misused in the past they think father owes them more than they are getting you know, I always thought that I was doing fantastic. You know, I wasn't sneaking around. I wasn't spending tons of money because I, I did that. I wasn't being um, manipulative, dishonest, disloyal, etc. much. I was still doing it. I mean, I went from, you know, always sneaking money to my kids, always manipulating um, cash, uh, lying, cheating, you name it. So, but I was looking at myself like, well, I'm doing better. But, you know, I was still cleaning up my past. I, I was still doing my ninth-step amends. I was, you know, putting in place, right, my new attitudes, I, my reactions. I was changing slowly. You know, the, the awakenings were happening. and But they don't happen overnight, at least for me. You know, I, I'm definitely a work in progress. So my family, my husband and my two boys, they're, they're full trust. 
hadn't returned yet. I mean, they were still waiting. You have to remember, I mean, I just celebrated my 30th um, anniversary with my husband. I did a lot of damage in those 30 years. I did more damage than not. So trust does this not happen overnight. So, you know, how many times did I go behind my husband's back, right? How many times did I sneak things? How many times did I, you know, pay for this for my kids after he told me not to? Um, How many times did I lie? So, you know, there's a lot of reconstruction ahead, and it's just about being patient. Um, On page 127, the family must realize that dad, though marvelously improved, is still convalescing. They should be thankful he is sober and able to be of this world once more. Let them praise his progress. Let them remember that his drinking wrought all kinds of damage that may take long to repair. If they sense these things, they will not take so seriously his periods of crankiness, depression, or apathy, which will disappear when there is tolerance, love, and spiritual understanding. So there's that promise, right? That's going to disappear. So... The damage that I caused on several levels, again, I said earlier, doesn't equate to just having a few good months of, of, of good behavior. It doesn't wipe my slate clean. You know, it was Julie's way, Julie's world, my wants, my desires. I know for me it would be really, really hard to trust someone who acted the way I did. So, again, I love that part in the big book where it talks about progress rather than perfection. That's what it means in the big book, is that we're continuing to get better. I'm continuing. It's not with the food, you know, progress. It's like you're either absent or you're not, you know. It's like I can't be sloppy with my food because that doesn't work. But I, every day I ask God to direct my thinking and help me to be that loving, caring, giving, honest, loyal wife and mother. Um, the next sentence, the head of the household ought to remember that he is mainly to blame for what befell his home. He can scarcely square the account in his lifetime, but he must see the danger of over-concentration on financial success. Although financial recovery is on the way for many of us, we found we could not place money first for us. Material well-being always followed spiritual progress. It never preceded it. Um, You know, lucky for us, I mean, we were never in any type of financial um, distress because of my spending. Um, uh, We don't, you know, owe money or any of that, but it didn't matter. What I did with money was just amazing. The same thing I did with food. I would take $500 here, $500 here. I I just would just go on these spending Binges. I mean, I'd go buy ten purses that were two, three hundred dollars a piece, and my husband would say, "Why? Why do you need ten purses?" And my answer was, "Well, why not?" Right? Well, obviously, um, that caused some grief. So our relationship would, you know, have this constant. Clay would wonder what kind of bills are going to show up this month because I wouldn't give him the tag. It was all about being defiant. You know, he never told me I couldn't spend. Never, I never had to be on a budget, but it's just that respect of a, a husband and a wife. He goes, all I ask is you give me your tags when you come home, because I travel all the time. 
He goes, just throw them on the, in the computer room. I wouldn't even do that. It was like, no, 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 you don't get it. I am Julie. I am my own woman. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. So I, I always had this big chip on my shoulder. So now I would say 75% of the time I will text him, hey, I just went to whatever and bought this. You're going to be getting a bill. It's a respect thing. And, you know, since then, our relationship has changed so much. He doesn't have to get this sick feeling before the visa bill comes. I mean, like I said, we pay our bills off every month. That's not the problem. But it's that dishonesty. It, he is the financial person in the family. And he was always waiting for this ball to drop. And I can say today, it is so cool. I mean, I, if you could see me now, I mean, I'm just smiling because Clay doesn't have to worry about that. He doesn't have to worry about Julie's spending. He doesn't have to worry about her being dishonest with money. Um, do I still slip my kids $25 here or there? I'm not going to lie to you. You betcha. Am I getting better? Yes. Progress rather than perfection. I'm not slipping them 500 anymore, but I might fill up their gas tank. And But I tell him, I will tell him, that's the cool thing. I won't wait for him to find out. So that's the family afterwards, that trust. You know, I, I, I did so much damage, so much damage. Um, the next sentence, um, did I already read this one? Since the home has suffered more than anything else, it is well that a man exert himself there. He is not likely to get far in any direction if he fails to show unselfishness and love under his own roof. We know there are difficult wives and families, but the man who is getting over compulsive overeating alcoholism must remember he did much to make them so. You know, again, I was not an easy person to live with when I was active in my disease. And even when I was thin and not recovered, it wasn't just my moods, but I had depression. I was angry. I had anxiety. Uh, depression, and the fear that I caused my family. You know, they worried. You know, we do so much damage. When I was, you know, like 300 pounds, my husband worried that I was going to have a heart attack. I've had, you know, like over 20-something surgeries on my knees, and he he was fearful that I was going to be in a wheelchair. You know, I have put this man through hell. And, you know, he never, ever said anything about my weight. He never said, you're not attractive. He never said, can't you get your shit together? It was always, what can I do? And my kids, I know I must have caused them embarrassment being that morbidly obese football mom. But you know what they said? They still loved me. But come on, I was the only big woman. And um, it's hard. It's just really hard, the damage. Um, as each member of a resentful family begins to see his shortcomings and admits them to others, he lays a basis for helpful discussion. These family talks will be constructive, but they can be carried out without heated arguments. So what we did is we had family meetings, which, oh, my God, they were not fun. They were, they were argumentative. They, were, they could be defensive. It wasn't easy, but I am so glad we did it because I was able to hear their side of the story. Oh, my God, it's time. Huh. So I got one minute. So I'm going to, um, so it wasn't easy. And I was glad, you know, like I said, that we did this. I worked hard with my sponsor and others. And I changed, I would change my call times with my sponsees. 
so that it wouldn't interfere with the family. Um, page 128. We have indulged in a spiritual intoxication like a gaunt prospector, belt drawn in over the last ounce of food, our pick struck gold. Joy at our release from a lifetime of frustration knew no bounds. Father feels he has struck gold. So what, you know, I, I love this. Um, it's like, what does it mean to indulge in spiritual intoxication? It's like when the spirit is filling us up. You know, when there is more joy, friendliness, laughter, and being less on guard. Um, my husband and my boys, you know, they were so guarded at first because I had been in relapse more than once, and they got to see that it was mom could, at any time I could fall off that beam, right, and then what was going to happen. But, you know, now they get to see every day that I'm maintaining my weight loss, I weigh and measure all my food, the calls, I meet, et cetera. But they saw the changes in me. They heard me. They felt it. That is like the, the coolest thing. Instead of me being bothered by people, they saw me offer my hand to other people. And they would sit back and just watch. So is this mom? Is she going to stay this way? It, and um, so it wasn't just me striking gold. It was all of them. Their fear over me relapsing diminished over time. So they wake up today and they know that mom is going to be the same way she was yesterday. And instead of them being defiant and upset about me stealing time away from them because, you know, program takes time. My, I have a spiritual life. I have a spiritual program. They're one and the same. I don't do program and stop program. My whole life is who I am right now. And so, you know, it went from my kids would say, Mom, you're on the phone again. It went from if my phone's ringing in another room, the boys will say, hey, Mom, it says OA so-and-so. You better get it because you might want to eat something. I can wait. I mean, and they're not making fun of it. They're saying pick up the call because they get it. They get it. My husband who, um, you know, I would kind of go back and forth on, on spiritual practices. I always had my Native American and my nature base, but I would kind of flutter from things. They, they built me a meditation area in our backyard with plants and um, it's just archways and lights. So that's the family afterwards. They're not waiting for mom to be um, gaining weight rapidly. They're not waiting for me to be depressed and not wanting to get out of bed. They're not waiting for that mom to be bitchy and uh don't go, go, don't go see mom right now because she's not, she's in that mood. Now, yeah, do, them, do my boys still hit me up for money? Oh, you betcha they do. And they say, you know what? Nine out of ten times you say no, mom, but you know what? We're waiting for that tenth time. So, you know, I, wanna, I guess what I want to leave you is um, I, in the big book, says we have caused great havoc. But you know what? My family today is the best it has ever been. And I can only thank this OA program for saving my life. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you very much, Julie R. And now sharing her personal insights on page 129 and 130 is Melissa C. from New York. 
Hi, good morning. It's Melissa C. Am I able to be heard? I hear you well. Okay, great, great. Um, yeah, Melissa C., I'm just going to kind of set my timer. Um, uh, <clears throat> so, you know, it's interesting, the, the family afterward. Um, when I was contacted about uh, participating in this panel, I was actually away with my family camping. And um, it was um it was just perfect timing. You know, there's no coincidences. Everything, it's, it's really God. I was truly meant to be reflecting on how does it, how, what does it mean now to be part of a family afterward? You know, what does that mean? Um, and uh, so anyway, I'm going to just start right that last um, couple of words on page 128 through the first paragraph on 129. Um, Joy at our release from a lifetime of frustration knew no bounds. Father feels he has struck something better than gold, and for a time he may try to hug the new treasure to himself. He may not see at once that he has barely scratched a limitless load which will pay dividends if only he mines it for the rest of his life and insists on giving away the entire product. Um, You know, so... For me, the joy at my release from a lifetime of frustration knows no bounds. Um, I feel like I've struck something even better than gold. Um, Overwhelmingly joyful at having been set free um, to go from morbid obesity. You know, that's where this disease had me, over 300 pounds. Um, That was the physical consequences of my sickness. Um, I was depressed. I was anxious. I was shameful, um, isolated. To today, you know, living in a healthy body, I have elation, I'm calm, I'm serene, self-acceptance. This is overwhelmingly joyful, and it feels like I've struck gold, and the desire to hold my treasure tight for fear of it slipping away really describes my early recovery and can even plague me at times today. But the more I really work for these treasures and give away completely the benefits I reap, the more I'm living this spiritual life, you know, and the more I get in return. This is like, you know, we're taught about being other-centered. This is exactly what it means. Um, I think, you know, I think about the ways that I hurt my family, mostly with my inactivity. Um, This disease kept me from being able to do many things with my family. Um, Even going up and down the stairs was difficult. So I often sat on the couch with my food in hand when I was in the house, And I had my kids go up and down the stairs getting me things. And, you know, I relied on my husband to do the things I just could not physically do. And, you know, the crazy thing is is that the stairs were Mount Everest in the light of day. I had no problem going up and down them all night long when I would venture downstairs to binge. Um, I, uh, you know, my disease was the very definition of selfishness. I stole my kids' candy. Um, I stole our joy, and I was in a lot of pain. I, we had some grief. I suffered a lot of loss, and I had a lot of self-pity, and I just kept fueling it. So I kind of felt the world owed me a free pass. I didn't see that my family was grieving, too. Mine was the only grief that seemed important and real. And um, But I put on a fake happy face when I went out in public. I went to work. I put on a really good show, and that was everything to me. Um, But at home, I ran to the food. And so I was really two people. You know, my kids, um, 
they got the, the worst of me inside the home, and the rest of the world got the best of me. I looked like a good mother. Um, you know, uh, the very way that my food addiction kept me in isolation, uh, my early recovery kind of did the same thing. I was so focused on my abstinence and so fearful of losing it that I continued to use my food and my food plan to stay safely isolated. Um, I avoided places, events, and people that I believed jeopardized my food sobriety. I was self-righteous, you know, pointing out labels to things and, and ingredients, and I was self-absorbed. And I believe that truly the most important thing was keeping me abstinent and that, um, you know, this was okay in the very early stages, but... This whole journey has been about having a spiritual awakening, living a life of being other-centered. And, you know, whether I'm using overeating to isolate or adhering to a food plan to isolate, neither is living in service. Neither is describing the family afterward. And so, you know, the next phase of my recovery has really been all about getting right with others. Um, Of course, absolutely, you know. But um, who do I need to get right with? My family. You know, these are the people most of all, I need to get right with. Um, and on page 129, um, it says, A spiritual life which does not include his family obligations may not be so perfect after all. Um, you know, a spiritual life that does not include my family is deeply flawed. When I think about my obligations, uh, these are my living amends. This is how I do more than just say I'm sorry. Um You know, I was okay financially with our family. I didn't wreak too much havoc there. Um, And I put on a good show outside the home. But in the home, I was controlling. And and it's really in the home where I ask God to help me right my wrongs. My new spiritual life is based on being other-centered, but without controlling and without an ego and without putting on a show. Um, And this isn't always easy to practice as a mother, you know. I'm the caregiver. I have to help guide my children. I need to have honest communication, model the healthy life. And then I have to release my children to God and the universe's care. I cannot control them. Um, And my definition of a good mother has changed. I don't need to put on a great show for the outside world. You know, I don't need to be the scout leader, the PTA mom, to be the one that bakes the best crap for the fundraisers. Um, All that's fine, but it's not how I measure my success as a mother any longer. Um, I don't need to impress other people. I I used to just live for that praise. Um, You know, the next thing I wanted to look at was further on page 129. um, Now that he has become a superior person with God on his side, um, you know, that, that can be my mindset at times. And as a wife, um, as a sister, as as a daughter, I need to listen without advice. Um, a big recent issue for me has been keeping my self-righteousness and judgmentalism in check. Um, I have a husband who can drink at times. He does smoke at times. He complains about his job at times. And I have to bite my tongue. I have to keep my eye rolling, my loud sighing to a minimum. Um, I have to save my words. You know, my spiritual awakening was only possible for me because I had my own experiences, and I need to let other people have theirs. So how can I best serve? Not by lecturing, uh, nor by withdrawing. You know, I have a husband that loved me over 300 pounds, um, 
And I have to remember that. I probably wasn't so easy to live with then either. You know, I, I know my recovery as a parent. It's obvious. My family can see how my grief has been replaced by acceptance. My sorrow is now joy. I'm the living example in this family of the power of God. Um, you know, the next thing I wanted to read was on page um, 130. It says those, uh, that first full paragraph, about halfway through, it says our, oops, I lost my page, um, our feet ought to be firmly planted on earth. That is where our fellow travelers are, and it's where our work must be done. These are the realities for us. We have found nothing incompatible between a powerful spiritual experience and a life of sane and happy usefulness. Um, my feet have to be planted in the earth. That's where our travelers are. That's where my work has to be done. Um, I have to be sane and happy, useful. So my recovery and spiritual awakening needs to not take me away from my family. You know, I do sponsor. I put a lot of time into the to the fellowship of the program, but I owe my family a lot, and these are the very people I need to be useful to. These are the people I'm meant to work my recovery with, to share the recovery of me with. Um, whether they understand the spiritual solution, this is unimportant. You know, I share it, but they do not have to be entirely on board with the spirituality of it. Um, this book does not say only be useful to those that understand and share my addiction. It says just be useful. Um, you know, besides being a wife and a mother, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, I'm an aunt, I'm a niece. And all of my family, they've been specifically set into my life. This is, um, you know, my most important work, and it can now take place. I used to think that these people were put in my life to push my buttons. You know, I was kind of told once, uh, they programmed your buttons. Of course they push your buttons. But now I realize that these people were put in my life. Um, what? I just have a minute left. These people were put in my life to be my teachers. You know, that's what this is about. And so I have to learn from them. My struggles continue to be the best educator. Um, you know, right now I have my mother visiting with me. My mother is aging. Um, my father is gone. My father died. So I have an aging and widowed mother with me, and um, my recovery has allowed me to become a much better daughter. Um, she's visiting with me now from Florida, and I'm so aware that this is but a moment in time. You know, I have a chance right here and now uh, for me to help cultivate the very relationship I always wanted. Um, you know, my mother was hard when I was young. She was tough. Um, now she's old, you know, and she's not scary and tough anymore. She's a softer person. My mother's different today than I, than I was growing up. And you know what? So was I. I was different. This powerful spiritual experience of mine um, is a gift I can freely share with all of my family. My recovery means that I can continue to mine for gold and give it all away and the supply never diminishes. Um, I'm grateful today that I was given this gift before I ruined my beautiful family, you know, before my mother wasn't here any longer, and that today my family benefits from this 12-step way of life. Um, I'm so grateful for this fellowship, honored to be able to share today, and um, thank you. With that, I'll pass. 
Thank you so much, Melissa C. And now we'll hear from Kelly S., who will be sharing her personal experiences on page 131, 132, as well as 133. Kelly, star one to unmute. Kelly, we do not hear you. Am I being heard? Yes. Okay. Let's give Kelly another moment here. Leah, can you hear me? Kelly, is that you? Yes. I had to okay. call back in. I'm okay. sorry. That's all right. Go right ahead. Me. We hear you loud and clear now. <laughs> all right. This is Kelly from Oklahoma. I'm sorry about that, guys. Um, so I'm kind of a new voice on uh, Vision for You. So just in a nutshell, um, just wanted to qualify and let you guys know that I've been around this program, I say that loosely, for 30-plus years, um, in and out of relapse, never recovered until the last 17 months. And um, I was married for 17 years and have three young kids, and then I've uh, been in a committed relationship with a woman for 17 years now, and I'm currently still in that relationship. So as you can imagine, there's been a lot of um, a lot of drama in my life, um, just like the rest of you. But... Um, Anyway, grateful to be able to be of service today. So um, on page 131, Family Afterwards, the uh, paragraph I wanted to talk about, it says, at the very beginning, the couple ought to frankly face the fact that each will have to yield here and there if the family is going to play an effective part in the new life. Father will necessarily spend much time with other alcoholics, but this activity should be balanced. First of all, um, I have to constantly remind myself that I may be the only big book my family ever sees. And this chapter, you know, I always, when I used to read this in the past, I was always like, uh, am I think my family's supposed to be reading this because it's telling my family how they're supposed to act and treat me. And they're supposed to like get off my back and be kind. And, you know, here it says we each will have to yield and I'll tell you what, partners and family don't like to have that pointed out when they're not on this process. So I'm constantly having to remember this is, you know, I'm doing this work for me. And, you know, um, I have to be the one, you know, working my program. I'm in the one, I'm the one, you know, uh, recovered today. So, <clears throat> you know, yeah, it'd be nice if my family was all on board and wanted to read the book and wanted to go to Al-Anon or open meetings. But, you know, it talks about in here that we have to recover in spite of all of that. You know, if I if I wait for my family to jump on board, it may never happen. So I'm really grateful today that, you know, well, nobody's read the book um, and nobody's going to meetings, but, you know, I'm grateful my family is supportive for that, you know, for that. But at the same time, you know, I have to remember that I'm doing this for me. And uh, 
so anyway, you know, it talks about right there in that paragraph that, um, you know, we, we will spend a lot of time in this program, but we do have to be balanced. <clears throat> and I don't know about you guys, but I've never been balanced in any area of my life. You know, I'm, um, I'm an all or nothing person. So, you know, my, my motto was always, if it's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. So whether I was, you know, eating or not eating or in my program or whatever and, uh, exercising, I mean, you name it, you know, I've, uh, I'm excess. So it feels good. You know, I'm going to do it. So, um, you know, Julie talked about this, um, that, you know, we, you know, we have to immerse ourselves in the program at first, which I did. And, um, you know, I, I worked a lot. I spent a lot of time and energy and I still say this to people I talk to is I put so much time and energy in my disease that I've got to put some of that back into my recovery if I expect to get recovered. And I've made commitments and priorities to that. And my family knows that. And at first, you know, it was like putting myself in treatment in a sense, and that had to be it, you know, and, you know, I got a little, um, probably over, zealous, I guess, because of my personality and my addiction is, you know, if the phone rang, I picked it up. If the phone rang, I picked it up, you know, no matter what we were doing. Um, and, you know, for the first time in my life, I have a 29, 27, like 29, 26 and 23 year old. My kids actually acted irritated with me picking up phones and I hate the phone. I'm telling you guys, I hate the phone. So when people, my kids are like, mom, you're on the phone again. I'm like, oh my God, I've turned into one of those people. And, uh, but anyway, so but I had to do it, you know, I had to get my network, I had to get established, you know, um, I had to set boundaries. And then as, you know, um, my recovery has progressed, I have learned to set, you know, some balance and find that because I feel like that's so important is, you know, I don't want to be where my kids are like hating this program because all mom ever does is talk on the phone. All mom ever does is meetings. You know, I have a sponsee um, who, who's my age and, you know, her father has passed, but he, uh, she was raised with him in AA and he was never around because that's all he did. And she has a lot of hard times with that. And, you know, I want my kids to see the, the balance that this program teaches me. You know, I want them to have balance in their young adult lives, you know, in their adult lives and as they age. But um, <clears throat> so then, you know, I'm trying to be the, the example of the big book. And then on page um, 132, um, it talks about these are some of my favorite paragraphs. It says, we've been speaking to you of serious, sometimes tragic things. We've been dealing with alcohol in its worst aspect, but we aren't a glum lot. If newcomers could see no joy or fun in our existence, they wouldn't want it. We absolutely insist on enjoying life. And then it goes down here to say, so we think cheerfulness and laughter make for usefulness. Outsiders are sometimes shocked when we burst into merriment over a seemingly tragic experience out of the past. But why shouldn't we laugh? We have recovered, love that word, and have been given the power to help others. So just a couple sentences down. So let each family play together or separately as much as their circumstances warrant. We are sure God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. And right there, that is one of the hugest promises. God, my God, my higher power wants me to be happy, joyous, and free, which you know, we're not supposed to be a glum lot. You know, it's like, you know, this is a serious, serious disease. But, you know, the freedom today is, you know, I can enjoy life, I can have fun, you know, and I can show other people, you know, it's like, I do make jokes with my kids, you know, my kids, uh, my, my partner, we, they take it serious. They, they're the same, you know, as, as Julie said, they'll be like, so and so it says, oh, so and so, oh, you know, 
and we laugh about different things about that. I mean, sometimes they do say, oh, my gosh, they might eat mom. And I'm like, you know, and I, you know, and, and they bring me the phone. So, you know, we laugh about stuff and they know and, um, you know, they tease me a lot and I'm not, you know, um, they see that it's a, they know it's serious. They've watched me, but the thing they, they are watching now is I'm consistent. Years ago, I had somebody say, you're poor kids. You probably give them whiplash, you know, cause they grew up in this insanity of, um, you know, I'm a drama and, uh, an emotional junkie. I get off on stress and, you know, I'm a roller coaster rider. So, <clears throat> you know, my kids need to see that I'm consistent. Of course, the weight thing has been huge because I'm, you know, 125 pounds less. I've been all over the scales. So, you know, my partner said to me the other day, you know, I guess I just thought you would probably just, you know, struggle with your weight the rest of your life. And, you know, this program, would you just kind of never really get it. Well, I thought the same thing, you know, I thought the same thing. And so I think they just need to see the consistency and not just the weight, but in my behavior. And that they're not worried about walking on eggshells around me. You know, that they, they, they aren't saying, you know, my son um, is my youngest and he'll even talk about growing up in the family, growing up here with just a bunch of girls and the drama. And, you know, um, and, you know, I just, I don't want to be that person today, you know, and that's, I remember hearing about rocketed into the fourth dimension and um, an entire psychic change, you know, and I remember reading that for years, I was around this program, I'm like, mm, yeah, I don't really get that, I don't know what that means, um, I don't have that, and uh, and I heard someone say they had the front door syndrome, which I had, because it's like, oh, I'm doing it great, I'm, I'm in the meetings, I'm like, great, you know, at work, I walk in the front door, I'm a whole different person. You know, I used to want to tell my family, I have a lot more recovery. Y'all just don't see it. Well, today they're getting to see it. I don't have the front door syndrome anymore. I'm bringing this into my home. You know, I get to be that person. My mom has almost 40 years of sobriety in AA. My kids have never seen her crazy. I grew up in that insanity of rage and fighting. And, you know, I was 16 when she sobered up. If I didn't live with that woman, I'd swear she was not like that. So my kids see what the program has done for her. I want them to see what the program has done for me today, you know. And um, down on, in the middle of 133, it says, a body badly burned by alcohol does not often recover overnight, nor do twisted thinking and depression vanish in a twinkling. We are convinced that a spiritual mode of living is a most powerful health restorative. And, you know, I need to remember this all the time because, you know, I was 50, well, I'm 53 now, so I was 52, I don't know, I can't do the math, whatever minus a year and a half is, <laughs> um, when I got recovered. And um, I've had a lot of years of screwing up, you know, and I get hard on myself that a year and a half later, I'm still getting back into my character defects with my kids. They're young adults, and, you know, and it's a hard, no matter what age they are, when your mom, you know, it's just tough. But I want to say, well, they're young adults, so it's really hard to find my boundaries, but, you know, the program tells me what to do. And it tells me, you know, when I'm dealing with them, when I'm doubtful, when I'm agitated, I stop. You know, I pray. I ask God to help me. You know, um, I make daily amends to them all the time. You know, I want them to see. This is what I want them to see. You can screw up. You just need to be accountable. You know, make amends to somebody and make it different. You know, I grew up with a rageaholic father who apologized all the time but never changed. And I was aware of that as a child. So today I want my kids to see you know, it's okay that you screw up, but what are you going to do different, you know? And the program is showing me, you know, how to address those issues and be the kind of person. I used to read about in this big book and hear about, and I'm like, 
you know, I guess it's not going to happen for me. I'm constitutionally incapable of being honest with myself. I'm one of those people the big book talks about. I mean, they wrote about it, so somebody, you know, it's somebody. But today I'm not that person. Today I'm that person that is having the entire psychic change, showing my family. One of the things I use all the time is the sick man's prayer on page 67. I don't have time to read it, but if you guys go to that, and my sponsor, and I'm sure you guys have heard this, have given me this short version, bless them, change me, bless them, change me. And texting has saved my life because I'm with my family. You can't always make a phone call when you're in the car or when you're in close proximity. And um, so I just text people, and many times people are saying, sit on your hands, close your mouth, bless them, change me. You know, I don't want to have to make more amends today, but more importantly, I want, I don't want to need to make amends. I don't want to have that. You know, just like the freedom with the food, I want the peace and serenity. And the only way I get this is it talks about a spiritual mode of living, which is living this program. It's not just talking it. It's not just knowing the book. It's not just reading the book. I've had four copies of the big book. It's fallen apart. The one I have right now is rebound. So it's not like I haven't seen it. But I didn't study it from the beginning through, you know, through 164, and I never, ever truly believed it was laid out in the big book until I started reading it with you guys. And so the instructions are there, how to deal with all this crap that's happening, you know. I heard people say the program teaches me how to do life on life's terms, but I heard a speaker say the program teaches me how to do life on God's terms. And that's what I need today because when it comes down to it, there's not a single thing in this life, in my life, that I can do on my own. And, you know, it's taken me 30 years and, you know, to get to that point. But today I'm, I'm there. I'm more grateful than I've ever been. <clears throat> you know, I'm 53. I'm physically, emotionally, spiritually healthier than I've ever been. I'm on this path doing it one day at a time, sometimes one minute at a time with my family. And uh, so grateful to get to be an example of this big book. And finally, finally, in uh, the fourth dimension, which is the spiritual dimension. So thank you guys so much for this chance to do service. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kelly S. And now developing the last two pages of Chapter 9, The Family Afterward, is Janice M. from Massachusetts. Well, thank you, Leah, for inviting me to share in my experience before and mostly afterwards. After what? After the gift of a spiritual awakening of my abundant life has been given me as a result of these steps. You know, I was never grateful. (laughs) Grateful? I was never, never satisfied. How could I be grateful? I was never happy. If I got a new car, if I got a new this. But, you know, today, um, you know, it's just so different. So it's the family after what? after being recovered. This is the change that uh, I have experienced. I just want to give you a little background of my family background, not to show that they're the blame, but this is where I'm coming from. I'm coming from disease, but it's not a disgrace. Okay, I always thought, oh, it's so disgraceful, my family. You know, um, I've been married for 52 years. Hello, I have a son that just turned 51. And, uh, yeah, I'm 74 young. Um, you know, it, it's just a, a revelation today for me to compare, you know, what I was and how my husband is today. And, of course, my husband's the same. 
that's that's going to be ironic, you know. But it, it, he is the same. He's the same man. Um, you know, it's me that changed and, and so different. You know, after all, I, I've, I've lived with a compulsive overeater, an alcoholic, not in my family, but in my immediate family, um, my extended family. And, um, you know, my son got into the disease. So, you know, I'm practicing these principles um, at home. That's what I'm doing because, you know, this is where it's the hottest place for me. I can do it online. I sound, people say I sound, you know, whatever, how they say I sound. And, uh, you know, but the day, it, uh, I'm living day in, day out with the benefits of harmony with my husband and son because they deserve the same patience. And we, we, we've heard this all through this chapter. They deserve the same patience, tolerance, kindness, love, and understanding, and compassion, you know, that I freely give to you people on the line and to others. You know, um, how I act today with my family is the strongest endorsement of my program. I can honestly say today that I do walk, walk, the talk, talk. Um, And my family did suffer most from the effects of my disease. And it is difficult to overcome the habit of of setting my standards for my husband and son, for them to to follow. I mean, that's how it is. All right, now, on page 130, on page 134, previous, there was just a, for a context, you know, they're talking about, you know, the line that, um, try to remember that though God has wrought, wrought miracles, I mean, a typical, I mean, so important that he's given me the miracles. Among us, we should never belittle a good doctor or a psychiatrist. So now we come to page 134, paragraph one, and it talks about a word about sex relations. And everybody there's go up, sex relations. <laughs> well, well, well. My disease, you know, and and what I see here to summarize the paragraph is, you know, we all have sexual problems, I I believe, because the book told me that we all have sex problems. We all make mistakes. And, you know, my disease of compulsive overeating and the way I was brought up impacted every area of my life and my sexuality and enjoyment of intimacy. I feared intimacy as much as I craved it. I don't know if that sounds right, but that's what happened to me. Um, You know, we didn't talk about sex in my family. You know, I didn't work on my defects. I didn't think my higher power had anything to do with my personal um, growth of sexuality and intimacy and affection, you know, because, you know, my sexuality is not limited to physical expressions. Um, I learned that sex is only a part of intimacy for me. You know, when I went through the the steps, that's how it was unveiled to me that, you know, it encompasses for me caring, sharing, praying together, giving, taking. I I couldn't do that. I I wasn't taught that. I, I didn't see that in my family. So sex became a challenge. And um, I had a lot of fear. I was a young woman, 21, when I came into my mat, when I got married in 1964 and uh, got pregnant right away. So, oh, my God, this wasn't the life for me. 
you know, responsibility, responsibility. So, yeah, I was pretty selfish in this area. I was pretty uh, inconsiderate. I was uh, very fearful, and I resented my husband. You know, I blamed him for everything. He was a he was the problem. He got me into this trouble. <laughs> oh, the poor man, you know. And you know, the baggage that I came in with, um, you know, increased. So uh, until I got into the program, um, you know, I learned through this book that sex, you know, didn't have to be loathed um, because that that was my experience. It was dirty, you know. You, you know, blah, 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 very puritanical um, background. So today, you know, and it, and it does advise, if you need a doctor, go to it. You know, yeah, God is my, my major physician. But today, looking back, I think I did need a doctor, you know, with the postpartum and all that. But that's the past. And today, you know, um, um, it, it's quite different. So now, how did my disease affect my child? I have a 51-year-old, thank you God, son today who got into my disease, who has my disease of compulsive overeating. He also became an alcoholic and um, used drugs and has a mental disorder, you know. So I'm living with that. But, oh, my goodness, he's alive today because of the 12-step programs. Yeah, you know, um, dominate, angry, always criticizing him. You know, he wasn't enough. Um, what, a, what a terrible thing. And that, that's how children become neurotic, at least my child did. Neurotic, neurotic, you know. And when it came to the food, you know, I would, I would wake up, you know, and um, the first thing that would come out of my mouth is, oh, get the donuts, get the donuts. And my son would go and, of course, do it. And then when I started getting better, not eating donuts, I'd say, oh, get the donuts, you know, just this time, just this time, years ago. And he'd say, Ma, but you told me not to get them. I'd say, get them just this time. That's all right. The kid didn't know if he was coming or going. So, you see, I was domineering. I was demanding um, all these things because I wasn't happy with my son. And then my husband, poor, poor man, would get angry and say don't tell him to do it you know it didn't it didn't prove uh, to be a good atmosphere in my home um with my disease but of course the miracle happened to me um you know we uh, you can go through a lot when you when you get recovered um my, my poor child you know um today he's like i said he's alive and well um i can make amends to him today um, it wasn't his fault that he got this disease, um, you know, but it's, uh, it's working very well. Um, we expected, uh, so much from him. And, um, of course my expectations in all the areas, uh, affected my serenity, but today I accept it on a daily basis. Sometimes it's very difficult. Acceptance is hard. But the joy, the joy that God has given me through these steps that, you know, I can honestly say, say today with all, you know, the illnesses, my husband is 85, so he has, you know, congestive heart failure and et cetera, like most of us have living in these problems. Um, but I can honestly say I'm peaceful. I'm contented. I mean, that's amazing. Sometimes I feel contented that I think that, gee, this shouldn't be like this, you know. Um, 
So, but the important thing is on page 80, um, in time, oh, at the bottom of the page, 134, paragraph three, um, in time, they will see, they will see, they not only will hear, but they will see. I don't know what that sound is, but let's see if we can do this. Can you hear me all right, um, Leah? I do. All right, dear. Thank you. So in time, in whose time? In God's time. In my time also. I can't make anybody change. Nobody could make me. They're going to see, you know, they're going to see and experience my food behaviors, starting with the food behaviors years ago, that I'm not picking at their plate and leave, and eating their leftovers. And they, they see that. Gee, she doesn't do that anymore. Or she doesn't come in like a rageaholic. Oh, my, my son used to say, oh, but you used to come home from school, you know, because I had a daycare center, and you'd be so nervous, you'd be rageful. Yeah, the volcano coming through the door, the tornado. And um, they see that, you know. They see that he remembers at 51 how I forced him to eat his peas, <laughs> you know. Eat the peas, eat the peas. And, you know, the poor kid, you know, he didn't want to have peas. But... I thought, my standard, you have to have the peas. So it says here on page 135, this is the great page too, whether the family goes on a spiritual basis or not, the compulsive overeater, it says the alcoholic member, the compulsive overeater has to, if I'm going to stay recovered. And I can't force anybody to go on a spiritual they're going to just want to, you know, and thank you, God, today, my, you know, my, my son does have a, a, a higher power in his life. And of course, my, I know that my husband doesn't say it, but he acts it. And of course, he'll go through the, through the house saying higher power, higher power, you know, it's supposed to be funny, but you know, he, he, he likes it. He, believe me, he likes it because, you know, he brings in my breakfast. They know how much I cottage cheese I have to eat. I mean, that's showing something, you know. That's the miracle of the family afterward. Um, seeing is believing. <laughs> They've lived a long time with me. Yeah. Now, on paragraph two, it says, you know, my husband, my, my, I smoked. My son still smokes, but um, he does not smoke in the house because I, that's unacceptable behavior for me. And I know his disease of compulsive overeating like mine is deadly. Absolutely. The repercussions, the results of uh, high blood pressure of uh, obesity of leg of knee replacements. Um, yeah. Smoking sure does too, but I can't tell him about that. He's going to have to do that. I can't, uh, you know, the codes that we, we've heard from all the wonderful panelists, you know, of tolerance, of love, of compassion, you know, and I do have compassion. If, if I said, oh, if he only knew what he was, you know, was doing to himself, um, you know, but nobody could tell me. And the compassion that I have for my husband, you know, when he's waiting for um, a a serviceman to fix the computer to come in and he's looking out the window. I never had compassion for him. I would be criticizing him. Why are you waiting? What's the matter? Why did you get him? Why didn't you go some other place or something? Today I have compassion, you know. Um, 
and um you know all, all the excuses that my my son and I used to have why I had to pick up that bite or why I had to do what I had to do uh it's because of you that I you know had, had no integrity and it's you know I don't do that today those things I don't need anymore it's just amazing so of course um you know to stand in judgment I was the judge and the jury in my um in, in my family, and I really believed that too. So I love these three little mottos. You know, first things first. What does that mean for me? First things first is my recovery, my recovery, my recovery. Whether they don't, they want to cook something else that I don't eat, I still have to do my recovery. Does it matter what they think? You know, um, it's a saving principle for me. First things first, whether they go on spiritual basis or not, I have to live my life. Live and let live. I have to live my own life. I don't kind of expect my husband to do it for me, or, or that I feel entitled, you know, and that's what they should do for me because after all, look at how holier than thou art, how good I am now that I'm, you know, recovered and uh, you're not and, and you're still doing those things. So, and let them live the way they want to live, as long as it's really not unacceptable to me. And, you know, being an Al-Anon since 1982, um, I, I can make choices today of what's acceptable or not. Um, uh, you know, in other words, Janice, mind your own business. I was always setting my own standards for people. You know, and easy does it. Time, God's time, you know. So these are wonderful little pieces of advice um, when I first came in the program that worked. But what really works is the principles of these 12 steps that I have to, um, I have to abide by and practice on a daily basis. I was never honest. I was always lying, cheating, whatever. Um, no integrity. But today, it's a miracle. I am a miracle. And... Uh, you know, the emotional emotional maturity I just want to end up with, that was my problem, too. Uh, because the mature person has developed attitudes, my whole attitudes in relation to myself and to others around me, because I uh, have been lifted above childish thoughts and actions. And I'm going to end with this quote. My mind is my garden. My thoughts are my seeds. I will harvest either flowers or weeds. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you very much, Janice. And thank you to all the panelists for illuminating Chapter 9, The Family Afterward, through your personal experience and insights. Thank you very, very much. Contact information for our panelists will be offered at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that. And now we'll transition to question answers. Please keep questions more general rather than specific family situations. Specific personal situations are best discussed on a one-on-one -on -one phone call. You can ask a question by pressing star 1 to unmute to identify yourself, please.
Hi, this is Lauren S. from Pittsburgh. Judy K. Oh. Lauren S. Who else came in? Judy K. Judy K. Anyone else? This is Ann B. Ann B. Debbie B. Debbie B. All right, let's start with that group. Lauren S., you're up. Cool. Uh, hi, this is Lauren S. from Pittsburgh, PA, a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, I had a question about making amends to the family. Um, I made a formal amends, direct amends, you know, a couple years ago when I was first recovered and in step nine. And throughout the years, you know, it's been become clear to me that I owe another amends. And um, my question is, do you, how do you treat that situation? Um, now, I heard the term living amends, which I'm not exactly sure where that's in the book, but um, I didn't know if you made another formal amends or not. So, thank you. That'll pass. Hi, this is Julie R. Go ahead, Julie. Um, you know, I had to make more than one amends because I got out of being recovered and I went back to my old behaviors. So when I made amends again, it was, you know, what living amends to me is by consistently showing the message of what a recovered person is. So when I had my spiritual awakening, um, I consistently cleaned up each mess I made right away. Um, You know, the spending, I use that as an example. I mean, I would just spend, spend, spend. I would just eat, eat, eat. I would lie, lie, lie. And then, so I had to say, okay, what am I going to do to not, to you know, to, to live uh, this program? And so when I do find myself spending a little bit that I think, you know, I'll say, you know what? Wow, I better back off a little bit. Again, it's nothing compared to what it was, but it's, it's about, it's how am I living today? Am I living today the way that my creator would be pleased? And that's how I balance it for a living amends. Is my God happy with what, what I'm doing? And when I do my nightly 11-step review, I look at that. What behaviors did I do? Um, is it consistent with the message of being a recovered woman, a woman of integrity um, and honesty? So I, I can't keep on making the same amends to my husband of being honest and loyal because that, then I'm not working my program. So it's like, what am I going to do today? What actions am I going to take? Um, so I don't know if that helped, but I pass. This is Kelly. I'd like to comment on that. Go ahead, Kelly. Thank you, Julie. Thanks. Thanks. Um, well, first of all, I think that's why it's really important that we work with a guide and um, and our higher power because we, you know, we can't do this alone and we can't go into amends, especially more than anything, um, without guidance from a guide and our network. So I think that's huge to to um, talk that over with somebody ahead of time. <clears throat> but um, I know that for as far as direct amends, um, the book says we have to do direct amends if there was something we did. And um, for me, um, yeah, I went in and out of relapse, but um, 
I've been recovered for a year and a half. And as it says, sometimes more will be revealed. And so I would, you know, realize there were things I needed to make amends for that weren't like in my daily living because step 10 should be taking care of that. Really. You should be, you know, step 10 and then 11. So regardless, you know, it was important as the book says to go to that person after I've talked with my guide, my network and my higher power, of course, and um, make direct amends to them for whatever it was. Um, And also the living amends, I mean, it doesn't directly say that, but the whole thing is, you know, uh, living it. And, you know, I grew up with a rageaholic dad who, like I said, made apologies constantly. I'm sorry the way I acted and then continued to rage. And so they become meaningless. You know, it's like, I don't want to hear I'm sorry. What are you going to do different? How are you going to be different? And so, but I did find, I, I wanted to share this. It was super important to make direct amends. I was shocked how important it was to the, some of the people I did it to, like my children. Um, when I made amends to them for all the drama and craziness um, in their childhood and growing up, all three of them thanked me. And my oldest daughter said, it really means a lot for me that you acknowledge that. And <clears throat> I don't cry in meetings, so but <laughs> I was like, it was huge. I was shocked that they needed to hear that. So, you know, we have to get out of ourselves because I thought, well, I'm being different. I'm living different. I'm doing living amends. And, you know, they, they, you know, that was so long ago, but I needed, apparently they needed to hear that. So, you know, we need to remember that too, that for their healing too, that sometimes we need to make those direct amends. But I just want to stress, I think it's hugely important to go to God and to your guide and um, your network before you, you do that. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kelly S. Thank you, Lauren S., for the question. Judy K. Uh, Thank you. This is Judy K. My question is, and actually to almost every panelist, uh, because most of you talked about the damage you've done to your children, have you been able to really deep down forgive yourself for the damage you have done, especially if you see uh, manifestations in your children's lives of of re- repeated maybe addictions or other behaviors that they're doing, uh, do you blame yourself and how were you able to come to a resolution of that? Thank you, and I'll pass. Thank you, Judy. This is Janice. Janice M., go ahead. Well, thank you. Yes, Judy Kay. Yeah, I can very, from the, the depth of my soul, say that um, the past, uh, yeah, I, I know that I contributed. But see, I'm not that powerful. I'm not that powerful. If I stay in the past and say, oh, I did this and I'm guilty and I'm remorseful, what I do today is because I see it, because I experience it. I experienced as an acceptance in my life that that's how it had to be. And perhaps God, I mean, I, you know, he doesn't do bad things, but it's an opportunity for me to that liabilities, those liabilities with my son gives me an opportunity to be a servant to my higher power and to my and to others because with my experience, you know, I, I've I've shared um, a lot with Al-Anon people that have children with dual diagnosis with with this with that, and I I really feel as though 
this happened to me so that I could go out and be a purpose. This is my purpose today. Because if I didn't have those liabilities, um, I couldn't share it, right? But I can share it. It became assets for me. And um, if there's such a joy in that. So I don't dwell on the past. I don't dwell that, you know, because of me, this has happened. I accept it. And that's the, that's the bottom line. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice M. Melissa me? Yes, Melissa, go ahead. Hi. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that as well. You know, um, if I truly believe that my experiences are the greatest gifts that I have, um, then that goes for my children's experiences as well, you know, um, and that nothing happens in God's world by mistake, even the damage that I may have caused, you know, I'm, I'm, um, those are their experiences and they will uniquely shape them and hopefully, you know, help them to grow to be more useful. Um, I think I'm, in one way I'm, I'm, I'm lucky in that my kids are relatively young. And so, um, you know, I'm hopeful that some of the long-term damage could be repaired, but, you know, perhaps, um, perhaps not, you know, perhaps they will have obstacles, uh, to overcome just like I did, and um, and that could be their gift. and uh, So that sort of helps me alleviate some of my shame and remorse about it. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa C. Thank you, Judy K., for the question. Ann B., your turn. Hi, this is Ann B. Um, I, my question has to do with enabling, and I feel... I have a hard time distinguishing between when am I using my program to um, to you know be sane for myself, and when am I using it to kind of get rid of a lot of anger, which otherwise would make me you know maybe kick my grown children out of the house, um, and and I and I and I who have mental illness, and I just. Um, I don't I have a hard time distinguishing between um uh enabling and you know working my program with respect to anger and resentment and I'd like to hear any of the panelists thoughts about that topic. Hi Chrissy G. Chrissy G, go ahead. All right. Hi Chrissy G. I I um I used to get confused with this topic too. And I was the type of person that didn't I didn't um explode a lot. You know, I wasn't I used to eat it <laughs> literally and figuratively. I used to eat my feelings and I would often not say things that needed to be said. So in com- I know that that the opposite is true for some people where they were raging before they came in and now they come in and they're looking at their amends. They're trying to amend their behavior. And as this pendulum swings, it might swing all the way to the other side and become instances of enabling by not confronting unacceptable behavior and things like that. And I would say that it's definitely on an individual basis. And please take my number at the end because I'd be happy to talk to you more specifically about the problems that you're facing in your family um, because this is a topic that I've dealt with really um, intensively with um, other programs and also outside help. 
but I um, I'm really want to stress the point that it's not a perfect science because like I said I needed to speak up more if you're um, confrontational in your disease then you're going to have to back up more but you're still going to have to be responsible and make other people accountable for their behavior so with that I pass thank you Chrissy G any other panelists want to respond Okay. Well, thank you, Ann B., for the question. And now let's move on to Debbie B. Debbie B., star one to unmute. All right, it seems she's unavailable at this time. Anyone else with questions this morning for our panelists regarding the family afterward? This is Anne Marie M. Anne Marie M. Anyone else? This will be the final invitation for questions. Hi. Hi, Nancy L. from Maryland. Nancy L. Okay. Anyone else? Eve A. Eve A. Okay. Terrific. Anne-Marie, go ahead. Okay. Thanks, Leah, Leah, for your service. And um, this is Anne-Marie M. in South Carolina. Um, I heard Kelly reference this, but this um, anyone could answer this question if um, they have, you know, experience with um, Kelly. Um, you talked about what I heard anyway was a lot of anger from your children for all the time that you spent on the phone, and I, I think other people have referenced that also. Um, my question is: um, Have you been able to help uh, your children with the anger, um, especially if one is needing this? 12-step program, have you been able to help them, uh, guide them towards this program without manipulating? That's my question. Thank you. Would any panelists like to respond? If nobody else wants to take it, I'll take it, Leah Chrissy D. Please go ahead. Okay. Um, I have one child, my 19-year-old, who is, um, he was the most, I guess, affected by my disease and by by the family disease. So it wasn't just me who was dealing with issues in the family, but he was affected on the whole by the behavior in the house. And he, he suffers with addiction now. He's 19 and... He got kicked out of college his first year, and he he got somebody else. Thankfully, got him into meetings, and he started going to twelve step program. And now he is not wanting to go to meetings. He's very honest with me and told me that you know, like he sm- he smokes pot on occasion, and I I know that he has a lot to deal with in in his life, and there's a lot of anger and a lot of baggage just like every 
body. Nobody gets through this life without anything that they have to deal with, even people that are in families that don't have addiction but have other issues. All families have issues. So for this particular child, knowing what I know about the program, how do I bite my tongue and not, like, you know, hijack him and bring him to, to a meeting? How do I not do that? Because I know full well that I could be hurting more than helping. Because I could, especially a 19-year-old, I could set up so much rebellion in him that I, I miss an opportunity, just like it said with work, in working with others. I, if I push too hard, I could miss a later opportunity. I got to let him go have his bottom. I know that seems ludicrous because to, to good moms and, and dads out there, but it's, it's, it's a reality. I don't, I don't have to like it. I have to accept it. He has to hit his bottom. And when he comes to me, I'm there. I'm ready, and I know where to take him. And with that, I pass. Hey, Leah, this is Kelly. <clears throat> Sorry. Thank you, Chrissy G. Go ahead, Kelly. Uh, I swear my higher power is a sense of humor. This is the first time I've got to do special edition. I'm having more technical trouble, and it's freaking me out. But anyway, um, so, yeah, I think part of it was, for me, a um, couple things. First of all, really talking to my kids um, about why I was doing it. <clears throat> you know, I mean, they saw my disease, so, um, you know, they may not have liked the fact that I was doing what I was doing, but um, taking their time. But, you know, first of all, like I said, I discussed with them. And then as I progressed just in this year and a half, they're seeing me set boundaries. So now it's like, <clears throat> you know, I had to do that at first a lot more. But today, if I'm at the dinner table and the phone rings, I don't answer it. Um, if, you know, we're watching a movie, I don't answer it. Um, I'm learning that my family time is important, too. And like I said, I want them having resentments. And I do have, out of my three kids, one that um, definitely has this disease. <clears throat> and, you know, the thing is, I want to be an example to her. And I don't want her to be like, I want to do that stupid program. People are calling all the freaking time. You have to do all this crap. And the only thing my kids do see me do now is if I, you know, um, for me, because I had the structure, need structure and discipline with my food, I weigh and measure my food. <clears throat> and if I have to make food changes, I, I uh, call or text a sponsor, depending on my situation. And so they know that. And so they're like, okay, mom has to call her food in. Mom has to text her food in. And they get that. But I've set boundaries in just this year and a half. It was just at first. But I don't want to be a turnoff to them. You know, I want them to want what I have. And especially my daughter that I, you know, obviously has our disease. So I can't give her that label. But anyway, so I did want to just share on that, that, you know, I think it's talking to them, you know, being honest about why you're doing what you're doing. You know, I'm honest about this disease, not about my weight, not about my food. They know that this has been a disease to me and it makes me you know, restless, irritable, and discontent, and they see I need to work my program. But then, again, the balance. So, anyway, with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Kelly S. Thank you, Anne-Marie M., for the question. Nancy L., your turn. Hi, this is Nancy L., a recovery compulsive eater in Maryland. Um, I am faced with a situation in uh, now that um, I'm working my program really hard around. <clears throat> I have a uh, daughter who just graduated college, um, very high-functioning uh, person, uh, graduated high school with a 4.0, graduated college, 
with honors in mechanical engineering and um, has developed a very severe case of social anxiety. And she is stuck now with um, transitioning between um, being a student to um, being an uh, employee. And I'm working my program so hard around this. Um, trying to find a balance between controlling manipulative, manipulative um, enabling behavior and trying to um, serve her and being as helpful as I can with this. Um, I am working with patience and um, uh, love and understanding and you know, taking the um, attitude that you've got to start from where you are. And um, uh, she's in counseling now, uh, just just a couple weeks now, and uh, character defect of impatience is, is, is um, uh, facing me right now. So if anybody has insight on how to work that balance, um, how to, um, you know, the balance between how I interact with her and how I interact with the other phases of my life. You know, how much time, uh, how, to, how to balance the time that I spend with her and, um, you know, spend with sponsees and other fellows and pursuing my own interests outside of, of program and work and family. If anybody has any insight on that, uh, striking that balance, I'd much appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, this is Julie R. Um, Julie R., go ahead. Uh, so, ha yeah, I, I have a situation similar to what you're just saying. Um, and how, I, how I'm how i handling that with my son is I, I am teaching him how to meditate. I'm sending, I send him, you know, two, three, four-minute guided meditations. We openly talk about um, what anxiety can do to somebody. The best thing I can do is be an example, consistency, showing how the balance that I have in my life, that any, anything can be overcome. And, you know, I don't separate family, program, my spirituality, because it's all one. I, I, I can't separate it because that means I'm only giving an allotment to God. I'm giving an allotment to program. I'm giving an allotment to my family. It's all intertwined. The whole 24 hours is all encompassing. So it's just by being an example. That's what I have to do. And I, I do 10 steps. I call my sponsor. I call my, you know, my recovered cir circle. Um, I write about it. I'm there. And so I can, you know, the best thing for, for my situation is he sees me not with those extreme highs and lows anymore. And this is something that's just developed in, um, in who knows how long it'll last. It's already getting better. But it's the meditation. Um, I'm, I'm just being an example. And then in medit giving him meditations. And he's got to find his own way. But I don't, I don't compartmentalize my, my life because I can't. It's all. I live a spiritual life and it, it encompasses everything. Um, thanks, Pat. Thank you, Julie R. Any other panelists want to respond to Nancy's question? This is Martha Z. Martha Z, go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, Nancy. Um, I find mostly that prayer 
helps me to deal with that. I have a lot of fears about my older daughter, and I usually pray, and I and I I usually pray to my higher power, and I'll say, you know, I leave my relationship with so and so in your hands, you know, and I'll say, you know, I trust you to take good care of her. I trust you with her life, and then um, it helps me so much to say the fear prayer, you know, and I'll say. I humbly, humbly ask you to remove this fear and direct my attention to what you would have me be. And I'll, I'll, I'll just pray and I'll say, please show me how to be the mom that she needs. I don't know what that looks like, but I trust that he's doing that. And um, the fear prayer always makes me feel better. So anyway, just share that. Thank you. Thank you, Martha Z. Thank you, Nancy L., for the question. And our final question comes from Eve A. Hi, can I be heard? Yes, I hear you well. Thank you. This is Eve A., recovered food addict, working on my ninth step amends. And my question is if a panelist would kindly share on their amends to an elderly parent. Thank you, Eve, for the question. It's Melissa C. Melissa C., go ahead. Thank you. Hi, thank you. Yeah, I, that's really, that's like my current um, uh, situation. I can really relate to that. One of the, um, you know, my direct amends was I did say, you know, I I was a difficult teen. I was a difficult adolescent. Um and and I've shared, you know, um, I shared really who I am with my mother today um, without looking to uh, win her approval or praise. Um, and that was like a huge uh, outreach to her, um, you know, and that, um, you know, I think also for me, I, I, not only did I I'd say directly, um, you know, that I'm sorry for the things that I had done, um, but I've shared with her some of the struggles that I've had as a mother and that how much I can relate to some of the difficult decisions. And that's really, um, that's like the living amends. And the the other thing is, is that I can um, appreciate her exactly as she is today, you know. Um, and, and that's been my um, real gift to her and the way that I've made up for her, you know, I think living the apology rather than just the empty words. Um, you know, sometimes just um, listening to her story again, you know, she's she's aging and she'll repeat herself. She'll tell the same stories over and over again. And, um, you know, if I'm sorry that I didn't listen to her enough growing up, well, here's my chance to listen to her. It might not be what I want to talk about, but um, that's okay. You know, it's being other-centered, actually listening hearing what it is she has to say, um, accepting her who she is in this body, in this time right now. Um, thank you. Thank you, Melissa C. Anyone else? Any other panelists? This is Martha Z. Martha Z, and I hear someone else as well? If there's time, I'll share after. Okay. Go ahead. Martha Z, please. Thank you, Julie. 
Thank you, Eve. Um, I I think the thing that, you know, this is kind of encompasses Lauren's question in the beginning, too, and that is, you know, do we go back and make amends? And for myself, with my mom, when I saw, when I was really able to see my part, like in the beginning I made amends for, you know, all the tension I caused in the family, blah, 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 you know, but when I was really able to see my part, I, you know, I I remember going back to her and, and saying to her, you know, I am so sorry if I didn't, if I made you feel like you're not one of the most important people in my life, you know, and, and I just kind of went on to develop that, but I was really um, just real and honest about what it was when I really saw my part. And I think the other thing is that, and I know I said this earlier, but I really do live the prayer of St. Francis with her. So, you know, I mean, I think about understanding her instead of expecting her to understand me. I spent my whole life trying to do that, and I, it's time for me to do that with her now. So, you know, I comfort and I understand and I love her, and I don't expect her to do that with me. But that feels right today, and I, I'm just so grateful to to do that. But the more I do that, the better our relationship gets. So thank you. Thank you. And Julie R., did you want to add a quick response to that as well? Yeah, just real quick. Um, how I made amends to an aging parent, I stopped hating my father. And what did that look like? It, I was able to uh, get him into his convalescent home to visit him, to tell him some things I forgave him. Um, he was a very angry, volatile um, predator, a um, lot, of, lot of ugly, dark stuff. And I was able to let go and thank him for giving me things, my work ethic, my love of the ocean, my love of camping. That's how I made amends. And he was 87. He passed away a year ago, April. And uh, I was able to let that go because of this awesome program. By looking at my part when I would make him score, I would, I would say things on purpose, like if, if there was a child molester getting arrested, I'd look right at him and say, wow, I wish that could happen to every molester. I mean, I, I, I brutalized him um, because I couldn't let things go. But being able to let it go and stop treating him that way, and he was able to pass, with knowing that I did not hate him. So um, that's how I made my amends. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, Julie. Thanks, Eve, for your question. Eve A., thank you. Thanks to all those who posed questions this morning. And, of course, thank you to our panelists, Chrissy G., Martha Z., Julie R., Melissa C., Kelly S., and Janice M., Thank you for pulling back the curtains on your lives and sharing your personal experience with us, how you live these principles in your homes. And we'll close from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right 
and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.